This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Zupan's is uh, three locations, and uh, I've been really enjoying going there. I often visit the website to see what's going on, and now uh, we can be a part of the Zupan's News feed with a Z. I get it, as in Zupan's. Right, exactly. Yeah. So get on that list and get exclusive deals and recipes. This week, for instance, they have a coupon for a free jar of Zupan's marinara sauce with any purchase. Have you had that marinara sauce? I have. Yeah, it's a good. A couple of times. Yeah. It's, they have a number of different sauces, too. Yeah. they got a Pomodoro. Mm-hmm. Um, so free jar, why not sign up if Absolutely. you're going to get something free just for walking in and buying something else? Absolutely. And I will continue to remind everybody about the poke bar at Burnside. Five varieties of poke, seafood salads, three types of rice, toppings. Great place to go to lunch. Or take home f- for the family? Absolutely. And you don't have to remind me anymore because I got in on Finally the Finally did it. Bar. Yes. All right. And uh, I, I got some great, I, the, the tuna was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Ta- brought it brought it home and enjoyed it uh, the next day. It's yep. really cool. It's easy, right? Oh, it's super I like easy. easy pull, it out of a, pull it out of the container, eat it, enjoy it, yep. and we're done. Yep. It's right there next to the salad bar, so they make it super convenient there at the Burnside location. And the other thing that's going on that you want to get in on is the Seller Z Seminar Series at the Lake Grove store. They do an afternoon of wine tasting and learning. Uh, April is going to be Chardonnay. May is... Pinot Noir. Yes. So I know a lot of people that are going to want to go to that. Yeah. And then June is Rosé. So you check that at zupans.com for details and to purchase tickets. This is Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's uh, your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And that's not who you are. No. That's me. Well, yeah, I guess You're I said, Court Johnson. Right. You're Chris Angelus. <laughs> I'm Court Johnson. That's all right. I think people who listen can delineate the voices right. by now. I was, but you're on Kink Mornings, yeah. which, so people hear you a lot more than they hear yeah. my voice. The reason, why God. I, 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 the reason why I wasn't thinking clearly, Chris, though, is I was thinking of this disclaimer that we've got to put out at the beginning of the podcast. Rarely do we need to put out a disclaimer. I think we've had one other. But in, in, this, in this case, we do. Whereas today's guest is uh, very specifically associated with one of our great sponsors here on the, on the program. Yeah, and we're happy to have Leanne with us. And honestly... This is I've, we've been wanting to have someone from the distilling industry yeah. here for years, and uh, as it turns out, um, if we're going to have a first one, Ryan Sansky mm-hmm. with Aria Gin, who earlier I had pronounced Aria, the East Coast pronunciation right. of that, mm-hmm. um, uh, but having him here today was great. He had a lot to say. He's been uh, a part of our food scene, and you know, starting at Wildwood yeah. uh, at an early age, grew up around here. Talk a little bit about his drinking history. Um, tried to stay away from mine. How about yours? We didn't talk about I, yours. I, I have no drinking history, so there's <laughs> so we could start it and we'd end it in the same sentence. All right. No, but it was it was certainly an education uh, educational with Ryan because uh, just no finding out the history of gin, kind of just the you know there is a history to gin. 
Of course. And, um, but just even the near history where it yeah. fell out of vogue and yeah. why. And, just, and, and now the resurgence of it and how Aria Jin is is big part of that. And then also to to point out, and, and I used to see this all the time when I worked in the newsroom at, at Kink's sister station, KXL, is just as, as Portland becomes known, A, for their restaurants, and then B, the craft brewery industry, the distillery thing is the, is on the rise now. We've got a ton of distilleries setting up shop here I, in town. I may or may not be wrong by saying this, but I think we have the most distilleries. Do we not? Yeah, we may have in, taken that over. Yeah, I think so. so. I think that's the case, too. Yeah, and, which is great. And, and you know, it's, I didn't mention it, but he mentions uh, some that he was at Bull, Bull Run where they were distilling his gin yeah. for a long time. And the guy who started that, I don't remember name came through House Spirits. And I think House Spirits may be, might be the place where a lot of people in the distilling industry, that would be like the uh, Wildwood is to restaurants. House Spirits has seen a lot of people go through there. Yeah. Eric uh, Martin, is that the guy you're thinking of? Yeah. No. Uh, well, that's his partner. Oh, okay. That's his current partner. Yeah. Okay. Which we never mentioned by name. Nope. Uh, Ryan, you never mentioned your partner. Now we did. Yeah. Now we, we took we care did. of it now. So, um, but we did mention Leanne, his other partner yeah, who, in life. Who sat in on the conversation, and uh, you may see her, hear, hear her actually pop in a couple of times to either augment the story or supplement the story. Or, or, or fact-check. Fact-check. Yeah, we yeah. asked her for fact-checking on Ryan. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was nice to get them both in the studio here at the same time. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Leanne Bach. Choosing the right realtor can make or break the buying or selling experience in real estate. Leanne Bach is in tune with the ever-changing Portland landscape, especially as it pertains to our food and restaurant world. Why not work with someone who's in step with you and has years of experience to work on your behalf? Find Leanne online at livingroomre.com or just link up at rightatthefork.com. Zupans, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupans Markets. Food Trekking World. Coming soon in Portland is Food Trekking World, the world's largest convention of trade professionals. Food and beverage meet travel and hospitality. Business-to-business appointments, speeches, and hundreds of professionals you'll want to meet from all over the world. It's April 2nd through the 4th at the Sentinel Hotel. Find out more at foodtrekkingworld.org. That's trekking with two Ks. And for our listeners only, use promo code SPOON, S-P-O-O-N, for $300 off right now. And by Portland Food Adventures. Did you know you can eat and drink your way through Europe with chefs like Atala's Jose Chesa and Lardo's Rick Gencarelli? Join Right at the Fork host Chris Angelus and his great chef friends for these trips of a lifetime to Barcelona and Tuscany in September and October. Get to PortlandFoodAdventures.com and click on the blog tab to see pricing and itineraries. Have you been to Bible Club? No. Oh, I just had a great gin drink there last night. That's what Where I was asking. Oh, really? Yeah. Bible Club. You got to go. It's one of the it's one of the coolest bars going. I dare it, say it's the talk of the town. Is it? I I had somebody else not in the food scene telling me about it the other day. Yeah. Like all right. Well, the cool thing is you've got to know about it because there's no sign out front. That's how cool it is. You you just kind of need to know. It's not an old funeral home, is it? It might be. I don't know if it's an old funeral home, but they basically built it. Uh, it's a gentleman by the name of Rick Maverick, and he built it 
to so that when you go, you feel like you're in the 20s. And they brought the bar in from Indiana. It's this beautiful big mahogany thing. Have you been there, Court? No, I've just heard about it. All right, oh, so are we actually on right now? Yeah. Yes. Oh, we're son of it. <laughs> okay, okay, so we're gonna have an outing. We okay, have to. I, we I, have to do this. You, you waste no time. I thought this was the uh, pre-show. I told talk. you we're right uh, in. I, I, I felt um, to tell you on the walk in here that we have things rolling um, because this makes for a more natural conversation than okay. yeah. one, two, three. Roll. <laughs> he sound. was over there sleeping, and then he <laughs> yeah. all of a yeah, sudden yeah. just boom. I'm sitting here thinking this is the first time I've been on any kind of podcast radio I, thing sober. Uh, yeah. I have not actually had a drink yet. Mm. Which wow! Is and and we have Leanne here to fact not check. Normal. This. So, um, is he actually sober? Is that the, we should give her a bell right. over there for fact. Or raise a flag. <laughs> I, I salivate when the bell rings, so be careful. I don't want to get the mic wet. Uh-huh. <laughs> we don't want that either because we only have that one mic. Right. And we're, that's, that's, and we're down. That's, that's how I know I'm getting food soon. <laughs> and so I mentioned your, uh, what I mentioned was your, what did I say? Chuck Purcell's? Jack, Jack Purcell's. Yeah, the Jack Taylor's. Jack Taylor's. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, um, Jack. Jack Purcell's. I, so when I grew up, which is aging me, there were three sneakers that anybody could have. It was those. Well, I never see. I've never haven't seen anybody wear them. It, I, I go through like three pairs of these a year. They're, really? They're, they're, so those are your so, go-to. Are we on the air actually right now, or is this? Well, a we're podcast? not on the air. Okay. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. So, so, so it so can then, be edited if you. We don't usually right. edit, but you, I you mean, could, if you say something that. Now, how inappropriate can I be? You can be very inappropriate. Okay, they're, they're pieces of shit, but I absolutely love them. Basically, they're white. You didn't read the memo. You're allowed to say pieces of shit. I don't read anything before. <laughs> I mean, that just makes me nervous. Uh, they're pieces of shit, uh, but I absolutely love them. They look great. They're comfortable, but the thing is, by the time they get so dirty that you don't want to wear them, they've fallen apart anyway. I would so. <laughs> say I wouldn't want to wear those because I would. They would be dirty within a day. Well, um, it's typically more of a spring summer thing, right? And, yeah. and I was up in Seattle in the rain with them, and and that was kind of a mistake. But I packed light, so uh, they're already getting filthy. So this is our new thing, Court. We start every podcast <laughs> talk, with a fashion. Little fashion. Talk. We had. I, I actually heard from listeners <laughs> about our T-shirt conversation. Oh, you did. Yeah, with, with Damien. Thumbs up, like, thumbs down. It was kind of like I, one person said, really, I don't tune in to hear you guys talk about T-shirts for five minutes. Right. And now we're doing yeah. it again with yeah. sneakers. But, they, they've already tuned out. But I was the reason I mentioned that is because I was looking at old pictures last night. And I when I when my mom took me to Europe in seventh grade, I came back with a pair of Puma baskets before anybody ever had seen anything like that. Leather sneakers. Right. And... Um, it just brought back memories because in those no one no one was going ooh ah they were saying what's that because they didn't understand so anyway you're still wearing what was fashionable 40 50 years ago some classics just don't go out of style and same thing with gin yeah. right it's over 50 years ago but I, 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 that was certainly I'd, I'd, I'd in like style to say, with my I'd father I'd like to say it is but it's not true gin gin has gin has somewhat gone out of style and it's coming back thankfully and we're 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 really hoping to be a, a big part of that why did it uh, go out of style uh, I, I think I think we can trace it back to the introduction of vodka in the U.S. And then uh, Ian Fleming, who is much better uh, an author than a barman, um, had Bond drinking a vodka martini. And the day that uh, James Bond ordered a vodka martini, uh, vodka martinis have outsold gin martinis uh, ever since. Everybody, really? Everybody Ian wants to drink. Everybody wants to drink what James Bond drinks. Yeah. It's, it's true. When when Pierce Brosnan ordered the mojito, we 
tripled our mint order at the bar. And, so and you're saying media through. actually has an impact? <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Why do you think companies pay millions of dollars for placements, especially in films like, that was, that was like the Bond series? That was rhetorical question. <laughs> I do got to say, my, my only... And my I only, let right past yeah. my head. So, so you had the vodka martinis for James Bond. My memory of gin in cinema was the classic like early 80s Annie that was on with Carol Burnett, and she was brewing gin in her bathtub. Let's see, that's... Yeah, and, so to and your and, point, and, and that was not sexy. Too. They were making gin, gin. Uh, and ma- mash wow, mash was well. actually, mash was pretty cool. Uh, mash was very cool, actually. Uh, but uh, we kind of had gin take a little bit of a uh, dip in popularity, and it kind of became pigeonholed as an old people's drink, especially with the kind of dark ages of the cocktail, which I refer to as the '80s uh, and even into the '90s. Things like Cosmos, Lemon Drops, Long Islands, all these horrific things. Screwdrivers were the thing of the day. Oh, man, screwdrivers. Uh, now you just remind me of what I was gin. ordering in, <laughs> in high school and college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That oh. and Tequila Sunrise. Yeah, mom's got vodka. We've got orange juice. Let's and, make a drink. And it was the Gordon's gin and the Gordon's vodka were right next to each other in the in the ta- parents' liquor cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I distinctly remember the first time I had gin in my dad's liquor cabinet and and it was not one of those things that as a young palate you gravitate towards well and, what was uh, i mean we were just we we nothing tasted good to oh, me myers rum is one of the first yes. things i really okay. got into yeah, and go. and i don't know what it is but i've always been fascinated with mixing drinks even in high school and uh, i was kind of more serious about making a good drink than just let's throw a bunch of shit in the uh um the sports bottle and uh, smuggle it into the game mm-hmm. so Myers rum still to to me has a very special uh, place in my heart as far as that very distinct smell that uh, takes me back. Uh, gin I didn't get into until later, and I think that's true with a lot of people. Probably the uh, early twenties, unless you had that really bad experience with gin, and there's a lot of high school kids that yeah I got I into the to, gin, it used to overdid take me to it. a different place than other alcohol did. This is my these are my drinking days, by the way, right. way high school and college. And then I just kind of gave it up for a long time because I just that sounds like too many nights to me. Uh, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, but uh, we do have a lot of people that stayed away from gin because they overdid it early on and are just now getting back into it in their thirties uh, or even late twenties. And so, gin definitely kind of got a reputation as an old people's drink for a while. And the thing is that we're seeing this really amazing resurgence in craft cocktails to the point where it's not just in amazing bars like Teardrop and Clyde Common anymore. He didn't read the memo. I'm sorry. What's that? No amazing. You've oh. already, you just used it twice in a row, so I have to wow, call you out Wow, that's amazing. I'm going to have to be edited <laughs> out for saying something that's not even fucked. Pardon me? <laughs> yes, well. <laughs> yeah, electroshock. We've kind of, no, that's why we put the memo out. People have been really good about it, and we should explain it once in a while on the podcast. We ask people not to use the word amazing on this podcast. Because it's just overused and it means nothing. So you All used right. it twice in a sentence. So we have to, you got to broaden your your vocabulary. Can I say amazeballs? Amazeballs. Yeah. There we go. Amazeballs. I, I like don't that. know. But yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm sorry about that. that. <laughs> I, I I diverted attention. No, we'll, we'll, we'll edit this, this out in post. We'll just edit it out in post. No, no. This, anyway, is, this so, is the age of diverting attention. So, uh, <laughs> so, so we've, we've seen craft cocktail bars bring back kind of the art of making them a lot of really cool drinks. And a lot of the drinks that are coming back now are from that kind of prohibition era 100 years or so ago, and gin really fueled a lot of those drinks. So we are seeing a comeback in gin, and and it's not just craft cocktail bars anymore. You're seeing places that aren't known for their bar program take their drink program seriously. They're using fresh juice. They're using local ingredients. They're using uh, handmade ingredients, house-made bitters, house-made syrups, and things like that. And it doesn't have to be 
a craft cocktail bar anymore. It can just be a restaurant that wants to have a better program. And and so you are seeing gin really make a comeback. And then the other thing that we're seeing that's part of it is that really a new style of gin is emerging for the first time in, in probably 160 years. Uh over the last five to ten years, really, uh, the new Western, new American style of gin, which is really kind of hard to pigeonhole at this point. I don't think we've even agreed upon what the official term for the style is going to be yet. Are you setting that? Are no, you, no. Do you I, feel actually, like, like Aria is setting that far? Actually, actually no. We intentionally decided to go back to being much more of a traditional classic London dry. I saw, I saw all the craft distillers really gravitating towards this new style, trying to be really different in terms of ingredients, in terms of flavor profiles, in terms of how those ingredients are combined so that you really have some very adventurous and innovative gins. But what I realized working behind the bar at a place like Wildwood is that I wanted our house martini to be a local gin. Uh, I wanted it to be a gin martini, first of all, and it needed to be a local gin because that was the ethos of the restaurant. I mean, that was our core value was local everything. And when the restaurant opened uh, 20, at this point it's uh, 2016 now, 17, what year is this? Uh, 17. Uh, Goes by so you fast. can wish for 2020 all you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, the last thing I want is to be even older. Uh, it's it's. I'm getting to the age where the doctor has to do very uncomfortable things to me when I go to visit. Uh, Just wait. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm trying to do is wait. <laughs> I'm trying to put that off as long as possible. Uh, but when Wildwood opened, uh, were you I, there when it opened? No, uh, I was still uh, I was still drinking stuff in a sports bottle at the football games in high school when it opened. It opened in '94, and and there were no local distilleries, there were no local options in '94 other than Clear Creek, and so the house martini was always kettle one vodka. And when I took over the bar program ten years into it, well actually a little over ten years, but I was there for the last ten years of it. Uh, when I took over the bar program, we needed to update things. We needed to move in a more classic direction, get rid of the Cosmos and Lemon Drops, and, and, and bring in more local things. And what I needed was our house martini not to be vodka anymore, but gin, and it needed to be a local gin. And I played around with all the local gins that I've always adored. And in and, and full disclosure, I really love what the other craft distillers are doing with gin. I, I've always really liked working with those. Um, but was I that also, happening uh, back well, then? Well, no, it was. Ago, was I mean, this is like 10 years ago. Like Aviation had just come out. Ransom was around. Uh, 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 New Deal uh, had a couple of gins out at that point. So there were already a handful of probably a dozen local gins that I could uh, play around with. And what I realized is that because they're all trying to be kind of this new Western, new American style, non-traditional, they don't usually resonate when it comes time to making a martini for a traditional martini drinker. Uh, these are people that have been drinking Bombay, Beef, or Plymouth, Tanqueray for decades and, and in some of our clientele's cases I'm almost certain centuries uh, they're very set in their ways and they have an expectation of what these things should be and that new western style just doesn't resonate it doesn't make a martini that they're going to um, attach themselves to and so I basically couldn't find a, a, a classic London dry style gin made locally and I looked at other small craft distillers around the country because I figured okay if it's not from Oregon maybe Washington or, or one of the other surrounding areas and again, that's what I saw is the same thing. People pushing the envelope, pushing the boundaries, doing really cool things, but they weren't going to hit the hit, hit the mark for this particular demo. And that's where I decided to make Aria, uh, which it turns out is a lot more involved and, and, and complicated than I thought because we ended up spending four years developing the recipe because what we really were trying to do is shoot for stylistic authenticity, and that means having a certain combination of flavors, but we also didn't want to taste like anything else out there. It was very important for me not to just hey, this tastes just like beef eater, but I made it here. Uh, we wanted it to be unique and distinct, but still stylistically a classic London dry that would uh, resonate with that uh, 
But isn't that kind of a paradox when you're trying to make it, it, you're trying to make sure that it's authentic and classic, but you want it to be a little distinct? Those are two. Well, well, no, because Tanqueray is very different than Beefeater, which is very different than Bombay, and it's also very different than Gordon's, say, uh, that you mentioned earlier. They're all very different, but they're all stylistically the same. You know, they're they're in that same ballpark, kind of like if you're a Scotch drinker, each isla has its own each isla malt has its own characteristics, but mm. there's also a commonality based on the region that you can identify instantly. It's an isla, and if you're a proper Scotch drinker, you probably identify which distillery it came from. But that that isn't to say that they all taste the same. It's that there's a there's a common thread. There's a there's a, a commonality to it, but but each one is its own thing. Uh, Bourbon, bourbon uh, from America, same thing. There's a few big houses that make a lot of the whiskeys out there, but each each one is a little bit distinct. Each one has its own characteristics, uh, but they're all bourbon. And and so we wanted to basically be a traditional London dry style gin. So when you were developing the recipe, mm-hmm. did you have moments where you said this was this isn't distinct enough that we need to get it to? A certain point where it has its we, unique characteristic. We originally started out thinking, "Let's be the next new Western gin," and and it didn't take long before we realized, okay, that's what everyone else is doing, and there's this hole in the market that no one's doing this. At that point, we kind of went back to traditional ingredients, and it, there was there wasn't a real moment that that we thought this is it. We just kept trying things and, 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 and it was, it was really kind of just honing and refining it. And it was, it was about two years of picking the ingredients, two years of building the ratio. And, 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 and the funny thing is with gin, there's no book on, on how to make gin. There, when, when you're talking about home brewing, uh, there's books that, that, that go down into the details on a microbiological and organic chemistry level that, that, are so over my head that I have to read each paragraph three times and I still don't quite understand what's going on. Then you can buy something that's on the edge of a coloring book uh, because there's a market for home brewing. You know, you can, you can get just pale ales. Here's a book on just stout. So there's a huge market for this. When it comes to making gin, it's not legal. So there's no market for here's a book on how to make gin and the people that know how to make it are working for gin producers, and they're not sharing the trade secrets. So talk about the process then, because you were you were running the bar program at Wildwood when you decided you wanted to do this. Yes. So you can't just go home and start exper- legally so, experimenting for two years till you say, okay, now let's form the LLC. No, and you absolutely shouldn't, because what I like to remind people, if you remember the uh, whole Waco incident with Janet Reno in the 90s, the ATF have tanks. You just, you just don't <laughs> fuck with anyone with a tank. So, so it's actually now after after nine eleven Homeland Security. It's it's the TTB is who we answer to. It's basically the same organization. They've just rebranded so that they're not law enforcement, but it's revenue. Uh, but uh, the point is, it's very very illegal. Uh, what we actually did was we started a vodka distillery, and that was a very short lived uh, debacle. Uh, we ran that into the ground in probably just under two years. Um, but we made a lot of mistakes. Uh, ultimately, toxic partnership was the biggest mistake. Uh, so we and sh- you're still employed while you're doing this. Oh, right? yeah. So yeah. that was your weekend <clears throat> evening. Yeah. Or well, yeah. not, not it, it, at a it bar, was, it's your day week, weekend thing. It, yeah, the, 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 the working the bar was was the money, and then I'd spend days and evenings at the distillery. Uh, but we, we we had this misguided idea to make vodka. Uh, but anyway, so so we had the we had all the licenses in place, and the vodka distillation took uh, typically uh, 18 hours. So we had plenty of time to play around with the little still and the little still is basically the size of a milk jug it's five liters and we can turn off uh we can turn out um 
anywhere from uh, two to ten liters of of gin in about forty five minutes. So, uh, depending on how concentrated, and some other little um, details. But so so we could actually make you know five or six batches of gin in a day and adjust and and refine and hone and tweak and try this, try that, make this adjustment. And so we were doing that. When, once we shut that distillery down, uh, that was right around when Lee Medoff was leaving House Spirits uh, to found Bull Run Distillery. And they were, I think, I think they opened in 2010. So from there, once we shut ours down, we did the, we finished the recipe development at Bull Run. And so we were licensed and legitimate the whole time. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that don't quite go that route, but uh, like I said, for me, it's very important that we uh, Is stay it frustrating above. for you to see the other people not playing by the rules, and you did? Because mm-hmm. it obviously costs more, it takes, long, takes longer to get to where you want to get. No, the rules to me are frustrating because we're not trying... It, it's all about tax evasion. That's what they're looking at. And we're not trying to... No one's trying to evade taxes. They're trying to come up with a product that they can sell and pay their taxes after they sell it. So... Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's one of the things in this industry that's, that's absolutely crazy to me. It's just the amount of regulation uh, on all levels that are that are really archaic. Is that a, a, a federal thing or a On all levels. Uh, the city of Portland's brutal. Um, they're just brutal. Um, state of Oregon is, is pretty, pretty good. Uh, federally, I, I actually... I got a customer satisfaction survey from the TTV and... <laughs> I, I couldn't explain this because I don't need to get audited, but I'm basically looking at this going, I'm, I'm not a customer. A customer is somebody that exchanges money for goods or services of equal or perceived greater value. Mm-hmm. You just take my money and give me nothing in return. I'm a victim. And so, I, you know, of course, this is what I'm thinking this whole time, but I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, say that because the last thing I need to do is invite an audit. Yeah, no, you don't. Uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, like I said, people without really a sense of humor. <laughs> Chris, I just noticed the uh, calendar, the time between now and your fall trips to Europe, are it's getting closer and closer. Yeah, but there's still time. We have great groups already signed up to go to Italy, mm-hmm. uh, Tuscany region, uh, coast to country to city in Florence. Yeah. Uh, with Rick Giancarelli from Lardo and my dear friend Astri Ensign. From Taste of Italy Travel, she's been doing this for over you know, over a decade. Yeah, helped us plan out the itinerary. It's going to be spectacular. I don't know if anybody recently uh, got to see Dario Caccini, one of the best butchers on the planet, uh, came to Portland recently for the Maialata Festival. We're going to go visit his place. Oh, very Rick. nice. So, and that, and then we'll be that's in on October first. And then September 20th, we'll be going to Barcelona the third time with Chef Jose from Atawa. Absolutely, if you go to portlandfoodadventures.com and see the comments that our previous guests have made, yeah, it's uh, they're, they're great trips, if I do say so myself, but they're saying it themselves. All right, so you can go to portlandfoodadventures.com and get all the information. There. Yeah, if you go to the blog tab, you'll see the itineraries and pricing and all that. And call me. 503-395-5900 if you're interested in going at all and uh, discuss it. So did you, um, what was the moment at Wildwood where you decided you wanted to do this? So you talked about the fact that you had a need that wasn't mm-hmm. being fulfilled, but how did that, you must have thought about that for a while. Do you remember the moment where you said, hey, let's just do this? 
Uh, no, it's it not just it was, something you can. No, it was it, it, well as far as the gin goes. I mean, it was. Well, it was the vodka first. Yeah, it was the vodka first, and that that was a whole different mess that that we got into. So do you, so then, do you remember the moment when you're making vodka and said, "No, no, no, we ought to go this direction." Well, it was when we had to shut the vodka distillery down, uh, and ultimately it was to sever that toxic partnership. But the company was in big enough of a mess that 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 severing the partnership was a nice little um, uh, a tidy side effect of of just dissolving it and 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 starting anew. So we see that we, now. By the way, we see that now. You know, we just we've talked to a few people who've developed brands or restaurants, and. There are toxic partnerships, just like there's toxic marriages. There oh, is a marriage. Yeah. So how do you how do you circumvent that beforehand? Obviously, you have contracts, but what what would you, you suggest? You never really can because you never know. Yeah, you never that's know. The thing. I, 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 these these we started this with two friends that I was friends from high school. We we've all been friends since high school, and just the one of them just was so just ugly and inside and evil that that we just basically said so there's just there's no way we're even going to try to get out of this it looking was, back <clears throat> could you have seen it because you know you're well you're i mean a he had, guy, he had so a russian a mail order wife and he was banging prostitutes on the side so ooh, ooh. um so we, that should those should have been red flags and and you know looking Wait a back minute. hold on a minute <laughs> Leanne, fact check it's true, it's true. okay <laughs> I mean, those, those should have been red flags, and 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 you know, it's one of those like live and learn, I guess. Uh, uh, Russian mail order ride, uh, no business. Uh, just learn from my mistakes out there, people. If you're listening, just learn from my mistakes. Yeah, well, that's that would be right on the top <laughs> of the list. Anything else that would be come under Russian mail order brides? Anything to do with <laughs> Russian? I would imagine at this stage of the game, <laughs> might be. <laughs> yeah, as long um, as it's not Russian dressing. <laughs> in, wasn't that invented in Canada? I don't know. What's uh, the derivation? By, by, by some uh, Russian immigrants. I, I but might be Canada. thinking of Thousand Island, but it's the same thing. Right. Uh, well, Thousand I- Have you ever been to Thousand Islands? No. In, oh, man. They're, they're, so you, we've heard about this in dressing. Have you been to Hidden Valley? <laughs> no. I mean, do you just go to like, like dressing pl- destinations? Well, that'd be interesting, the dressing <laughs> tour. But Thousand Islands in, on the New York. Canadian border right. is I, absolutely beautiful. I looked and it I up because I was curious. It wasn't too far. It's not too far from where I grew up, but I never went. We never went there. And then when I was later, just fantastic. I'm sorry, mm. <laughs> getting way off into another planet here. No, no, that's the whole point, isn't it? No, no, okay. no. We're trying. To, <laughs> we're trying to stay on target here oh. and, and learn about you, uh, mostly about you. So when you were, were you a big? You you talk about you know filling up the jug and going to sporting events. We didn't need sporting uh, events for any excuse. No, no, definitely we, not. I mean, no, we 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 had some friends that you know their parents had a very well appointed liquor cabinet, and uh, by the time we graduated high school, they had a lot of water. <laughs> they had a lot of water and and, and mostly vermouth. Uh, we. Uh, they they went on vacation a lot, so it was kind of a friend's party house. So, so this was Portland. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was going on here. Sunset cause... High School. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was Sunset High School. Actually, turned out a lot of boozy people. Ryan McGarian from Aviation went to Sunset High School. Lee Medoff, that founded House Spirits and Bull Run, went to Sunset High School. Pat Bernard, who co-founded Bull Run's kids, went to Sunset High School. My business partner I met at Sunset High School. So uh, something about the Apollos and. Uh, so there's and, some money over there because I, because what I know is 
where parents have be- the better liquor, ca- the better booze cabinets are where two things yeah. for kids <laughs> are where there's money and where the parents are traveling all the time. Uh, that's where the parties take place. They did and, all right for themselves. So that's interesting. It's a, it's a dichotomy. Parents want to move there with kids, but the kids are saying, get out of here yeah, so and, we can do our thing. And, and now we've all turned our alcohol problems into uh, legitimate businesses-ish. So, uh. so I was thinking today, so you, um, you know, having been an integral part of Wildwood, you know, it, it, a lot of Portland, the food and drink scene went through Wildwood. I mean, it, you don't have to go many degrees to identify that there's a lot that went through there. It so was, you're now saying it's a Sunset High School and Wildwood, those connections. Uh, well, Wildwood was hugely influential. Uh, not just on me, but hugely influential on me, but but on all of Portland. I mean, you, you can, if you start doing that that spider web, like how are, how are these connected? I mean, it's so intrinsically connected to everything in Portland that, that I mean, it's really the, the genesis of the whole farm-to-table movement here. It was really the first to do that. So... Um, very, very connected and influential. And how did you end up there? Uh, pure dumb luck. I was working at a uh, place in Beaverton that uh, was not really where I wanted to be. Uh, so I was applying very aggressively everywhere. I could uh, found another uh, gig at a uh, another place that opened up in Portland, and it was a chance to get out. I jumped on it. I was only there for a few months. Uh, and then uh, Wildwood called me uh, after like nine months of having had dropped off a resume. I interviewed with Helen Randy and uh, and went from started, there. So you I went to, from there. So I was actually at that point I was working at Oba uh, part time and Wildwood part time. I'm going to school full time, and uh, that was more than more than a handful. But uh, so growing up, what did you want to do? You weren't planning to be in the booze industry. Or, oh yeah. Wait. No, absolutely. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, looking back, there was no other option. The, the beverage um, alcohol industry. Is I, what we called it when I worked on Seagram years ago. Beverage alcohol industry. We still call it that when we. Yeah. Proper. So I didn't. Uh, um, the boozy drinks biz. Um, I I always had in mind that I wanted to make beer. I, I actually started brewing beer in high school. Uh, my dad was. I think the statute of limitations has run out, so I can say this publicly. My dad was from uh, Eastern Europe and fortunately didn't have the same uh, kind of restrictive mentality on alcohol that's still pervasive here. Um, so he was really uh, supportive of the fact that I wanted to learn about the chemistry, the the, the biology, the uh, how to make beer, not just, hey, let's, let's get drunk. And I actually always wanted to start a brewery. And I was actually working in a brewery by the time I was 20 years old, uh, which was kind of an ultimate fantasy job, not even old enough to drink, and, and here I am making beer. Um, but I also realized that in the 90s, mid-90s, uh, the industry was going through a crazy shakedown where there really wouldn't be another big regional brewery coming out of the area. And to do that, you'd have to leave the Northwest. And I think I was fairly accurate with that. This is one of my fearless predictions that actually came true. Most of my others have not, like digital photography being a fad. And film improving too. Uh, oh, the, the jury's still I, out on that. There's time. Yeah, I also said rap would be a fad. Um, yeah, my fearless predictions are usually uh, should be pretty fearful, but I, I realize that there's not going to be another brewery kind of the level of of uh, Deschutes, uh, Full Sail, uh, Widmer, uh, Bridgeport, Portland Brewing at the time, uh, and and really that's really what we've seen is we've seen small neighborhood brew pubs. Uh, we we have now Ninkasi uh, poised to get to that level. Or they're there. Ninkasi's there now. But it's been 25 years, 1992, 20-something years. Who cares? Uh, 
I, I think Hub could go there too. Uh, but still, what we're seeing is neighborhood brew pubs, and 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 it's kind of stayed small. And I wanted kind of more than that, so I just kind of put that on hold. Uh, went back to school. Uh, and what uh, did you study in school? Uh, pretty much everything. Fifteen years of uh, college, I refer to fondly as my 15. best my best years of my life. Um, this, I, I started with biology and, and chemistry with a building up to, to go down to OSU and do the uh, fermentation science program. Uh, I kind of put that on hold to pay off some debt, uh, started bartending, started working in restaurants, eventually bartending to pay off some student loans, uh, and then uh, fell in love with it. I uh, really fell in love with it, got myself back in school, uh, majored in advertising, marketing, and graphic design with stints as a major in accounting. I did finance as a major for a little bit. Uh, I think there was one other one. Uh, but yeah, so I kind of bounced around all the all the different departments possible. Um, I'd still be there if they hadn't asked me not to come back. They said, you've got 300 some odd credits. Just, you're not allowed back here. Just go. Um, so did you, did you actually graduate? <laughs> yeah, advertising, marketing, and graphic design. Okay, good. Uh, we, have, we have related degrees. Yeah, it, it just turned out to be actually really, really kind of ideal uh, with what we're doing now. But uh, it was really putting myself through school. I fell in love with bartending. Even after I was done with school, I kept bartending just because I, I really loved it. And then the whole vodka distillery thing kind of fell into my lap. I didn't really want to be a part of this at first. Uh, but it just kind of worked out that I got involved in it. And I'm glad I did because for all the mistakes we made and for all the... Uh, for all the things that went wrong there, they they've really led well, to they've, they've led to a lot of. I mean, you can't just have it figured out. Yeah, from I, day I, one. No, and and, and I've, I definitely learned more in running a business into the ground than I did in like like ten years of business school. Uh, there's no question about it. Of course, it, and one. so do, you don't even know yet whether you've really figured it out. I would no, imagine. no, I I, jo- I joke that uh, we learned a lot the first time around. We're not going to make the same mistakes this time. We're going to fuck everything up totally differently, and so far. You know, we've made some mistakes this time around, but all in all, this is this is going about as well as I could have dreamt. I mean, the, the distillery has just taken off. We spent uh, three years producing this gin at uh, Bull Run, and the idea with 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 that Lee at Bull Run and, and we had in mind was that we'd be there for about two or three years. So almost three years to the day we opened the doors to our own distillery. The day we opened the doors, we're on Northwest 23rd and Savior. Beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful location. Beautiful right location. Right across from St. Jack. Literally, if I had to draw the exact building I want, it would be this. It's a 3,000 square foot light industrial shell, two overhead doors. It'd be this. It's got an office and a retail up front. It's exactly what I would draw. If I had to put a pin on a map of where I would want this, halfway between Bull Run and Clear Creek, I mean, come on, two of the most prestigious, most well-known, uh, greatest distilleries in Oregon, we're halfway between. I mean... It's it's we got three distilleries in a four block radius and we're 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 in the middle and 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 Bull Run doesn't make gin Clear Creek doesn't make gin so I tell everybody if you want whiskey go check out Bull Run they make some beautiful whiskeys they've got some really other fun other spirits Clear Creek just makes an amazing array of of brandies fruit liqueurs and eau de vie so there's something for everybody in this this Northwest Distillers District as we've kind of branded it and it's just exactly where I would have wanted it to be the day we unlocked the doors to the distillery uh, which was uh, November uh, 2015 so we were a year and a half into it almost the day we unlocked the doors we're one of the top 10 producers by volume in the state of Oregon uh, with the single product Aria Gin so it's it's going incredibly well it's it, in the summertime we're in the top 10% of all spirits sold in Oregon and that includes Stoli Jack Daniels Tanqueray Jim Beam uh, 
Uh, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we're in the top 10% of all spirits sold in Oregon. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, we're in the top 10 gins. Uh, we're now the number one selling locally owned gin distilled in Oregon. It's, it's going so unbelievably well. Uh, we, we exported in 2016 for the first time. We're now in Canada and Japan. Uh, this That's year. exciting. It's it's What does it take exciting. to get there? Is it a is it a relationship with a distributor? How much traveling had you had? Every, everything comes down to distributor relationships. Uh, Japan was was pure dumb luck. I mean, he was just standing there and answering the phone. Really, uh, the company that we're working with uh, it really focuses on bringing in Oregon and Portland specific products to Japan, which are, which just really play well there. Rogue, I think, probably does like fifty percent of its sales in Japan. Uh, the Japanese love Oregon beer and wine, and, and they love product with story. It's it's kind of a cool thing. Why are they in love with Oregon? We've had this discussion a couple of times. I don't know if you've got you a, know. I don't know. Answer. Osaka is not even our sister city. If I, if I recall, Sapporo is our sister city. Osaka has a Portland festival. I mean, I'm just picturing Japanese men with beards and flannels and tattoos, uh, pomading their hair and, and riding unicycles around in, in in the town square. I don't know what a Portland festival in Japan would look like, but I very badly want to go. I, yeah, I, I think it's quality. I, th- I think what we do here is quality, and it's not just beer, wine, and spirits. I mean, we take our food very seriously. Uh, we're really fortunate to have amazing farms and producers and, and access to them because of where we're located. And then we've got people making outstanding things like coffee and chocolate. And you say, don't use the word amazing, but we do have so much amazing here. I mean, it is. And, and it, I understand that the word's overplayed, but when no, you no, refer no. to okay something like that, if you're consciously, when you refer to something like that, it is. That's what's happening here. Yeah. So, so, but that wasn't they, the case ten years, ten, twelve years ago when you, it was starting. Yeah, it, no, it, it was just, no, it was no, just but, but starting. you know, Dave Lett planted Pinot in the seventies, and 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 you know, by the late seventies, we were outscoring uh, French Burgundies uh, in blind tastings uh, with with Oregon Pinot. So, that I think is really one of the big starting points of it. And then and then the handful of breweries like Bridgeport and Widmer uh, that totally transformed the beer world. And uh, We've had more breweries than any other city in the world for as long as I can remember. And so we have all of these amazing things that are happening here, and we have great coffee producers. Do you see that changing with the cost of, uh, cost of everything going up in Portland? It's no longer as much of an advantage over... Other markets to Ooh. start a business to live. No, Portland's uh, brutal to start a business. I mean, like, I cannot believe how how idiotic dealing with the city of Portland was. I mean, we 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 damn near bled dry, and we we were month we were a month or two away from running out of money and going out of business. And we we had a lot of money starting into this. Our build should have taken our build should have taken less than ninety days start to finish, and it took almost a year and a half. Uh, the permitting process is just. It's criminal is what it is. You shouldn't have to fight your own government to, to create vitality in a neighborhood, create jobs, contribute to the economy. And and, and it's just, we can go off on a whole different tangent. I don't want to get there. Uh, what I'm really seeing, and the thing that I'm seeing that's really exciting as I travel, because I'm going to a lot of different places. I, I, this year alone, I've already been in San Francisco. I'm going to New York next month. I just got back from Nashville. Then I was in Seattle. Uh, Going to be in Indiana and... Uh, New York again in May. Uh, I've got a lot of travel this year. It's going to be living out of a suitcase, which kind of sucks because like miss miss being here. Um, yeah, you got you got we, some reasons to be here. Got too. a beautiful little girl at home, and uh, I was going to hate s- leaving her. I was going to um, say you must <clears throat> have black and blue marks because you got to be kicking yourself if you're in the perfect location for your distillery and that's going well. You have 
KK is one of the most beautiful children I've ever seen. She's turning into a little nightmare, but uh, yeah, well, we still love gonna her. Yeah, well, you're going to get that, but, from, <laughs> but I don't say that about children. And you've the got terrible twos are here Beautiful early. Leanne. So you have, like, the ultimate of everything going on. you got to be a happy guy. I, yeah, what would I be kicking myself black and blue over? It's, it's, it's... Well, because it's just a term. You've got to be kicking yourself. <laughs> uh, no, the... Like I said, we're just on such a great trajectory with everything right now, and it's really, really exciting. It, it's it's really, really an exciting time. But coming back to your original question, the thing that I really see is, is no, I, Port, Portland's evolving and, and, and Portland's kind of maturing in, in, in terms of the craft of what we do food food and beverage-wise. What's really exciting that I see is Nashville is is. I've seen that come they, up all they, of a sudden. They want to, they want the to do things Portland. like Portland. Yeah. Uh, Bloomington, Indiana. It, it's really more like Bend. It's a little, little college town with like 50% of the population is, is, is college kids. But they've got these little restaurants and bars that want to make great cocktails and want to put out great food and want to do local ingredients. And, and, and you're seeing that in Indianapolis, too. You, you, can, you can find a great restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky now that's farm to table and, and, and harvest in, in, in Louisville. Their, their wall is lined with giant black and white photographs of all of their farmers. It's it's a really beautiful space. So it's not unique anymore. And I think that that is really exciting because when it was unique, that meant a lot of places didn't have these things. And now you can go anywhere and find it. And you can find a great cup of coffee in, in the Midwest. You can find a great cup of coffee on the East Coast. You can find great local... Not as many. They're not not as on many. every corner. <clears throat> That's, not, it, it takes not a as while many, to get but, to that. But... but I paid eleven dollars for a latte in Nashville. I never thought I would do that. How, uh, how good was that latte? It was good. I don't think it was eleven dollars. No, I don't think there's one that's worth eleven. dollars No, it's definitely one of those things. But there's an upper limit to what makes sense. Uh, <laughs> it was a good cup of coffee, but uh, um, the the point is that, that that what's happening in Portland is is really starting to transplant itself and happen in a lot of other markets, and that's just it's just exciting because as a country, that means we're learning to eat and drink the way we should have been doing it all the time. And we're moving away from these, these plastic menu chain restaurants where it's all about frozen Cisco food and uh, microwaves yeah, and deep fries. No, we're evolving. We think differently, or some people do. And then that will, over time, as you say, it gets to markets like, it gets to states like Kentucky and, you know, who some people yeah. have been thinking that way, but it's, it's mainstreaming now. And I think it has a lot to do with uh, generation, generational change. Oh, huge, huge. So that's going on. So knowing what you know now with the permitting process and all that, and uh, would you do it again? Uh, tragically, I'm too stupid to do anything else. So, uh, Well, you could be uh, bartending and doing pretty well, right? You, you uh, that, running a bar program? That's not something that I think is long-term sustainable. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I, I miss it every day. But I don't want to be coming home at 2 or 3 in the morning with, with a little girl at home. Um, it's possible, but I, I just... I knew there was going to have to be a point where I kind of stepped away from that, and and the timing was pretty fortuitous. It it, it all seems to have worked out. I mean, I was I spent seventeen years behind the bar. That was like I said a lot of fun, and I really miss it. But and that I'm, probably that that uh, boded well for you in developing what you're, you know, a bartender. Oh, it's crucial. The relationships, that, the relationships that I've built around Portland are, 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 I think, a huge factor in why we've been uh, so successful. Uh, it's absolutely, it gives credibility to something uh, like a spirit brand that, that translates into other markets, too. Like a lot of times that's the first thing I say is, 
I was a bartender and I didn't find the spirit I wanted, so I made the gin I wanted to work with behind the bar. And that that usually resonates with a spirit buyer who's also a bartender slash bar manager. Um, so who can you identify uh, in town who you enjoy most working with as far as a bartender who does the, the most incredible things with Aria Gin? I don't think I could pick one. No, no, I, I don't mean one. You got no. you have a, a couple oh, that God, you the, can mention offhand. The, there's just no shortage. Um, and and you know, I I don't I don't always drink Aria Gin when I go to these bars because I don't want to like just pigeonhole it. I, I'm not an Anheuser Busch rep that can only drink out of my own portfolio. So when I go out, I almost always drink something else because I want to see what people are doing and I, I'm looking for something unique and creative. Um, so so there there there's just so many so many places that make incredible drinks now and there's there's no way i could just like mention one or two names well i know that's always tough i hate being on the on the spot for that because the other people you're all thinking (laughs) i missed but there's got to be a couple that you're really friendly with who um oh no we're really friendly friendly with a lot of people (laughs) well yeah um no, we, we, yeah, we want to maintain great relationships with everybody. All right. Um, it's politically correct here. <laughs> and, I under- and I understand that. Uh, but so what's, what's the best uh, drink you've had in the past few weeks that comes to mind? Does it have to be an Aria drink? No. Um, there was a place in Seattle. It's going to be an Aria drink. There, there was a place in Seattle, and this one really shocked and surprised me. So... Uh, this guy is uh, an actor that moved out here from the East Coast, just picked up a job in this crazy place that I really want to go eat at, but I didn't have time to, called China Pie. So it's apparently Thai fusion with a wood oven pizza, or brick oven pizza. And so I don't really quite understand how this whole food situation is going to work, but it looks like a really cool space. So this guy was doing a cocktail for a wedding, and he did equal parts Aria Gin, um, salsa hornitos, lime juice, and then he took the uh, Domaine de Canton, which is a ginger liqueur, infused it with those really spicy Thai bird's eye chilies. Uh, with that, and then some cherry juice, just a tiny bit of Luxardo maraschino cherry, just enough to make it lavender because the theme of the cocktail, the theme of the wedding was purple. And it actually worked. It was really kind of a surprising drink. It actually really worked beautifully. Um, I would never think of that combination of ingredients, but it it struck all the notes. So this is a real... uh, It could be construed as a stupid question, but when I post on Instagram some drinks and include all the ingredients, my friends on the East Coast invariably say, who would think of that? Mm. And so I always wonder, what's the process? You know, we were at Bible Club last night, and each, I just put it on uh, Instagram this morning, each cocktail, I mean, it's like a a paragraph for uh, the ingredients that went into the drink, and thinking, what is the intrinsic skill that someone has to say, okay, these seven things are going to go together, and how long does that take? It's It's kind of funny, because sometimes you have an idea, and you know, experience obviously helps, knowing how in, the individual individual ingredients react with each other. Um, but sometimes it works the first time. You come up with an idea, throw it together. It's like, that's exactly what I had in mind. Other times, I, I remember I was drinking a, uh, a glass of wine at Wildwood, and I was just thinking, like, okay, 
what if we break these flavors down? Can we recreate these flavors in a cocktail using ingredients that are behind the bar? And I tried for probably three days, and I just never got it. I just walked away from it, and I said, you know what? No, it's not going to happen. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's it's a lot of trial and error. Other times it's it's once or twice. And is it your trial and error? Do you have like a little focus group of people generally when you're behind the bar that you trust to help you get to that perfect drink or one of the perfect drinks? At Wildwood, we were all involved in it. Uh, Even the chef? Sometimes, yeah. Uh, we did an amazing drink. Oh, there, I said it again. Okay. Sorry. Don't worry about uh, it. Edit that out on post. Uh, this drink was really cool because <laughs> I... directing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, quiet down over there. I'm not done with the story. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, of course. Um, we we had these beautiful chive blossoms, and I put those in vodka just to see what would happen because it just smelled so good, and I've never seen anything like that. So we did a few sprigs of chive and some chive blossoms in a bottle of Medoya vodka. Came back to it the next day, and it was just gorgeous. Just onion and and, and, and floral, and it was really, really cool. So then I collaborated with the kitchen. Uh, I made some tomato water, so basically crushed some um, Oregon Star tomatoes and and put it in a cheesecloth and suspended in the walk-in and, and just let all the liquid drip out, and it comes out this very pale orange water that just tastes like tomatoes and then the flesh of the tomato stays in the cheesecloth. So I combined this chive vodka, uh, chive vodka with the tomato water and then for the rim I wanted to do a bacon, salt and pepper, prosciutto or bacon. And so how are we going to get that bacon done because if you just crisp up the bacon it's really oily and the salt and the pepper clump. And so we, we played around with the chef, Dustin Clark, uh, who's now at uh, Bisa's and he was really into this idea. And so we played around with the food dehydrator. We crisped it up first and then dehydrated it. We dehydrated it and then and then dried it out in the oven. We we played around with all these different methods. We finally settled we played with bacon, played with we finally settled on prosciutto, food dehydrated, and then pulverized with coarse salt, and then added black pepper into that and did the salt pepper and, and, and crispy prosciutto on the rim. And that drink really stands out to me as one of my one of my all-time favorites that I've come up with just because it was really kind of totally out there and not like anything else. And it was really a beautiful drink when it was all It's a lot of there. work that goes into that, but it's really cool to have a chef that's interested in it too, a right, lot, who gets excited. Yeah, and a lot and, of the drinks I would pass on to the kitchen uh, for, for feedback because mm-hmm. Wildwood had a kitchen that was just so well-trained in recognizing flavor. We'd change the menu every day, so we'd sit down with the kitchen every day, taste the day's menu, and that was a huge part of, I think, developing that sense of balance that's I think hopefully shows itself in Aria, uh, was, was experiencing how a plate comes out and the entire wait staff and the entire kitchen would taste it and, and the comments would be, it needs more acid, it, it, it's, it's too acidic, it needs more salt, it's too bitter, it needs this. And the kitchen would listen to us and, and they'd change it. And, and, and I've never been anywhere else where, where that goes on and it was really an amazing part of being there. A plus, uh, but it's also a decision by committee is often sometimes a very difficult thing, well, especially it's, when it comes it's to really, pallets. It's, it's really not because when it's, it's, the executive, trained, it's the executive chef decision, so yes. it's not like we all vote. It's not a pirate ship. Right. The, the, the executive chef still has final say in it, but but all of our feedback is is, is taken seriously, and it's not just like uh, dumb floor staff, uh, what, what are they doing uh, talking to us? We know what we're doing because we're the kitchen. 
they'd listen, you know, because we're the ones out there engaging with the well, consumer. Well, it's also it's also what made Wildwood what it was. I think right? it really so was because that, of the everybody yeah. was on the same page. Yeah, and so so because the menu changed so much, uh, I changed the drink list a lot, and so a lot of the time I would bounce things off the kitchen because they were so talented with combining flavors and amazing. There, I said it again. It's okay. Right, Sorry, we'll... I mentioned it. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read the notes next time if I'll, I'm invited I'll, back. Yeah. And I'll take that one out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, um, 2017, I'm just curious, quickly, what's on your list? So, you're now at a point where you're being distributed internationally. We, and and yeah. so, what's on your list to do that's very different this year that you weren't doing last year to move the ball forward? So last year it was building the distillery and getting the doors open. Retail was a totally new component for us and that has gone unbelievably well uh, as well. And so it was really kind of the year before that was, I was up at seven in the morning dealing with these (laughs) meatballs at the, uh, at the uh, city of Portland planning and then, and then managing my contractors and, we'll and have the, to, the we'll contractors. We'll have to get their Instagram to make sure they're going to listen to this. We have to tag it. <laughs> I, I'm, I've got my permits now. I think I'm, I think I'm safe. But um, we, we really, 15 was all focused on getting the place built out. I did really almost nothing to grow the brand and get the gin out there more. And it just kept getting itself out there more. It's, it's kind of the snowball that's rolling down the hill right now. And it's, it's getting bigger and it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, 2016 was really kind of focusing. We, we obviously had a newborn at home. Uh, so I didn't do a whole lot of travel in 16 and it was just kind of figuring out how this retail component is going to fit into our big picture. Cause it's totally new for both of us, my partner and I. And then this year is really, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be living out of a suitcase. I mean, I'm going to be in all these markets that I haven't been to. We've changed some distributors in some markets. We have a new distributor in Indiana. We've got a new distributor in New York. Uh, We just got back into California with a brand new distributor there. So it's going to be really a lot of time on the road and actually having some face time in these markets and and, and evaluating what we're doing right and and figuring out what we're not doing right and fixing that and uh, growing outside of Oregon and continuing, hopefully, to grow at the same trajectory here in Oregon as well. That is uh, mm. looking forward to seeing what happens with that That's right through to 18. And yeah. we, you know, we, Court and I have had the opportunity to go out with your dear, we call her partner? We, we're not married, right? No, we're not married. Prior partner, Leanne. And yeah. she's, as a matter of fact, I, I kind of put it, when I started reading your bio, I was like, oh, this is why we met at the Solo Club opening. Yeah. It was yeah. all, uh, all, everything came into place. Yeah. Um, but because you have a little one at home, we have, we can't get the both of you out at the same time. Really hard. Yeah. She, so. She's finally big enough where we actually were able to put her in the closet and, 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 and <laughs> lock, lock her in is there. Is that for, what's happening? Well, it's just an hour, right? We, what time is it? Uh, Department of <laughs> Child Protective Services will keep that Instagram off the, uh, thing, but I'd love, I'd love to get out with all of us and go have a good time. Absolutely. And, We've been waiting Please. since we started talking to... I've got uh, a soon-to-be 12-year-old that wants to babysit, so I can take care of her right there. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Wow, you put that yeah. out there. No, she's been, be- she's been begging to babysit. I'd trust her. Yeah, well, <laughs> well yeah, of, course, uh, of course you would. If I benefit from L- it, of course Little KK has discovered the temper tantrum, and, and now when she doesn't get picked up or, or get her way, she just like 
plops down on the floor and wiggles like a fish on a, on a boat. So this is when uh, you're going to be living out of su- out of a suitcase and leaving uh, this yeah. to Leanne. Yeah, I was, unfortunately, I always say I always say people who talk about the terrible twos haven't had a three year old yet. So my friend, well, we're in the terrible one and a half yeah, right I now. Say, I think I think wait till get to the threes. <laughs> I went through to the fours with one, but anyway, yeah. that's that's another topic. Um, glad we finally had you on. You're, uh, you're absolutely great guest. Thank you. It's a uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, not uh, a lot of prompting needed to be done. You can, no, you but speaking of prompting, you up and keep going. You did text me earlier about a funny Wildwood story. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to be a little inappropriate with this story, but the the segue inappropriate. We kind of missed a perfect segue here. Uh, well, we were talking about the whole staff meeting with the kitchen, and this was called lineup. So all of the front of the house staff, all of the uh, the, the, the servers, the bartenders uh, would sit down at the chef's counter uh, before we opened for dinner. We would taste everything that's new on the menu that day. It's typically six dishes, uh, six to eight dishes, uh, mostly starters because the, the core entree section changed every two weeks. So the whole, the whole kitchen staff is there as well. Uh, one of our servers who uh, is now uh, uh, no longer with us, he's off to the great state of New York, uh, <laughs> is... Uh, was always texting, and he left his phone open middle of a text to one of his DJ buddies. And uh, anybody who uh, who's listening to this from Wildwood is going to know exactly who this is. Uh, but so Jeffrey left his uh, phone unlocked and went off to go polish some silver at his tables because we weren't ready. Uh, so we have the entire kitchen staff and the wait staff there. So I get a hold of his phone, and uh, I don't even remember what their conversation thread was, but I basically texted, yo, man, my, my, my ass is really, really itchy. <laughs> I mean, like, really itchy. <laughs> what do I... And then I just closed his phone. And so he comes back to it. We start in with lineup. We're all sitting there listening to the chef explain all of these dishes. And then out of nowhere, he just goes, my ass is really, really itchy. And of course, who texted that? And of course, everyone laughs, but they look right at me. And I'm like, yeah. I What you should so, have done. No, no, oh, this, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. No, this isn't the best part. Yeah, so he goes, right. he goes, that's not even that's not even the best part. My buddy replied back, "Yeah, I know what you mean, bro. I feel you." That's <laughs> and that that was the response he got from his friend on this, and that that just made it like perfect punchline. I, I yeah, I was gonna say that is what you needed was the reply, but you also I think if you asked, is there anything you can recommend that I should do about it? And then so when he got back and read those responses, that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah. So thanks so much. Are we done already? We're done. Oh man, I I know it goes fast when you're. I hardly even got to plug Aria Portland Dry Gin, distilled in uh, Northwest Twenty Third and Savior. We have a tasting room open Wednesday through Sunday, noon to six. Okay, we, we could have <laughs> plugged that. We could have plugged that in the intro too. Do oh, both. okay. We'll what's, your, uh, what's your Instagram? Paste. What's your, how do we find you? Uh, and uh, Twitter, it's I Love Aria Gin. On Facebook and Instagram, it's Aria Gin. Okay. Good deal, and, thank and, you. And thankfully, now we have a professional managing that, so it's not my horrible uh, once a month posts. I'm going to add this, so just to make your life easier, Leanne Bach. What's the new? What's the new website? The new thing. It's a, it's a living room. Living room realty. Do, Look do, for do we Leanne need you Bach. on the mic right. here? Can we? Can we even hear her? No, we can't. Here, <laughs> you you come over here. Yeah, it's living room really really living room realty dot com. And he's laughing at me. It's a little bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? (laughs) Ribbing loom, really? (laughs) But if you if you go to uh, easier, Raggy, we need to buy a rouse. No, if you go to uh, and this is all in the family. If you go to uh, rightatthefork.com and click on Leanne's really cool drawing that Living Room Realty provides for all their uh, uh, employees, 
then you go right to her site. You don't have you, to. You, you don't have to go through the whole. If you right click it, save image. You can print it out and color it. Yeah, there we go. That would be good. So <laughs> this is this is how to keep KK busy for a while. So thanks so much. Appreciate it. Okay, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Right at the Fork is supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. The legendary food dude dishes up Portland food news and comprehensive guides to just about everything that has to do with food in Portland. From coffee and wine shops to bakeries and more. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at foodpodcastpdx or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Yeah,